We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. As parents, you raise your kids. Uh, I had my grandkids here uh, this weekend, and we just love that. It wears us out, but we love it, and uh, it was so much fun. Uh, but it reminded me of the days we, we had to have a plan in raising our kids, right? We discipline them, we train them, we help them to become the people that God intends them to be. If you're a young adult, you probably have a plan about your career. Uh, you, perhaps you've gone to school, perhaps you've done some training in vocational work or whatever the case may be, and you are planning for that career that is yet to come. We have plans in the workplace. We have plans in the church. Uh, but listen, I'm going to tell you something. God's got a plan. God has a plan from eternity past. And before this world was even spoken into existence, God had a plan that would impact you and me. And that plan centered around a person named Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would come to this earth, would live a perfect life, would die on a cross for sin, would be raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of the Father, and would come again, and every knee would bow, and every tongue would confess that he's Lord. Jesus came to save sinners. Uh, one of the amazing things I think about the change the gospel brings is e even in the leader who's preaching this message, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about Peter in the text of Scripture, uh, there, there was failure, but God redeemed them from that failure. And now they are being used by God. Listen, that's the message of the gospel. He saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin. He redeems our life. He uses us for his purpose. What an amazing God we serve. And we need to understand this purpose that God has through Jesus Christ and to know that he still saves sinners. If you don't know Jesus today, he'll save your soul. Uh, he still sustains his people. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And we can still look to him in our time of need, in our time of struggle, because he's still faithful and he's still able. Um, the scripture that we look at this morning is a scripture uh, aimed at a Jewish audience from all over the Roman Empire, they spoke different languages, and at, at the beginning, they hear them uh, declaring the wonders of God in their different languages. But now Peter comes, and he's giving this message to the assembled group there uh, of Jews who have for their entire lives studied the Scripture of the Old Testament. And he uses the very text that they have studied over all these years to show them that Jesus has always been God's plan. Every step that Jesus would take, all of the major things that Jesus would do were anticipated by the prophets. Did you know that? Every single one of them. Matter of fact, uh, uh, even the difficulties that would come in the fulfillment of prophecy uh, were addressed in the Old Testament. We don't have time to get into that today. But... <clears throat> Uh, Peter is going to take them through just a, a handful of prophetic scriptures and is going to show them how these scriptures 
are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. The prophecies of the Bible are one of the most convincing proofs of the truth of Christianity that I know of. I mean, there's many uh, uh, evidences. We, we look at archaeology and history and uh, all, all of these things, and, and the history uh, is a great evidence for Scripture. But the prophecies of God are powerful and have brought many people to Christ. Many Jews have come to faith in Christ by reading Isaiah 53. So um, we, we need to look at these prophecies, and we need to put our trust in the Word of God that His Work that he has prophesied that would begin in Jesus and has begun in Jesus would be completed in Jesus because we are in the in-between time. We're not to the end of it yet. Jesus is coming again, and we need to look to these things in hope. All right. Uh, so the title of my message today is The Gospel According to the Prophets. The Gospel According to the to the prophet. So look with me at verse 22 of Acts 2. Acts 2:22. All right. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. I love that. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades. You will not allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Both Lord and Messiah. The gospel according to the prophets. Uh, what did they say? Well, first of all, they predicted that Jesus would die. They predicted that Jesus would die. 
verse 27 is a quotation from Psalm 16. The latter part of that psalm refers to Jesus Christ. And uh, it says, because you will not abandon me in Hades. That's what my translation says. Your translation may say hell. It might say the grave. Both of those are legitimate translations. But uh, if you look up at verse 26, also from Psalm 16, it says, My flesh will rest in hope. He's talking about his flesh. Okay? So um, the body is what is being emphasized here. So when he says, You will not abandon me, it's not that he's abandoning him in hell, because Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise, didn't he? It's not, he's, he's not going to abandon him in the grave. Okay? That's the best translation of this word in both the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, and this is the intended meaning. Jesus would die. He would be in a grave. Uh, the second part of verse 27 says, or you, or you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. Okay, So you can't be in the grave and experience decay unless you're dead. You say, well... Uh, well, why is that important? Because there are some people that believe Jesus didn't die. Did you know the Muslims? Some people say, well, all the religions of the earth believe the same thing. No, they don't. The Muslims don't believe Jesus died. They believe he only appeared to die. The Jews believe he died when he didn't rise. Christians believe he died, was buried, and he rose. There's a whole lot of difference in those three views. Jesus literally died. The skeptic Dominic Crossan said the death of Jesus is the most verifiable fact of ancient history. That's a pretty powerful statement from a skeptic who doesn't believe in Jesus. Jesus did indeed die. Why is that important? Because if he didn't die, you and I are still in our sins. Praise God, Jesus paid the price. Did you know the prophets also told the reason Jesus would die? Not in Psalm 16 so much as in Psalm 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. The Lord made him to be the guilt offering. Guilt offerings always died, by the way. Jesus died for my sin and for yours. And he said, it is finished. The price is paid in full. Isn't that a wonderful thing? All that needed, Jesus knew every sin you'd ever commit, every sin I'd ever commit, and loved us anyway, and died for us anyway. Isn't that an amazing truth? The price has been paid. The prophet said there would be someone who would be a descendant of David who would sit on his throne forever. Psalm 16, and in Peter's explanation here, he tells us that David knew he was speaking about his future descendant, as 1 Chronicles 17 says, who would sit on his throne forever. So this future descendant would die, but he would be raised. Um, so... Uh, the first thing the prophets affirm is that Jesus would die. Secondly, Jesus would be buried. Uh, verse 26 says, Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. That is actually 
uh, from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, the Hebrew, the word that, it, that is there, uh, my flesh will rest in security. Uh, my flesh will rest, uh, and, and the word for security is a word that comes from a word meaning trust. In other words, I can trust that my body will be secure. Why? Because God is the one preserving it. Uh, I can trust that my flesh is secure, therefore there is hope. So my flesh will rest in hope, uh, which is what the translators of the Septuagint uh, took it uh, to infer. And so um, my flesh will rest in hope. Jesus would be buried. He would rest in a grave for three days. For three days. Um, Why is it important that Jesus was buried? Well, because it shows that he was really dead. Okay? Um, Jesus died at the cross. You remember the Roman soldiers said, well, he's already dead. And they were experts in death. Um, they had appointed a place for him uh, with the people who were crucified, a grave with them. But then Joseph of Arimathea comes and he asks for the body. And, and they go and they take Jesus and they place him in the tomb. Now the witnesses of Jesus' crucifixion followed Joseph of Arimathea to see where the tomb was so they could come back and embalm the body. And Jesus was placed there in the tomb. And the stone was rolled in place. It would take three men to move the stone. Uh, it was in a, in a channel. It was a huge stone to keep the animals out and, uh, and anything that would harm the body. And so Jesus would be buried. That's what the prophets affirm here. My flesh, my body will rest in security. And we know what he's talking about because verse 27 says, he's not going to abandon me to the grave. He, I'm not going to see decay. So he's, he's, he's buried. There's a lot of different theories of, of Jesus' death and resurrection. And did you know the Gospels address every one of those liberal theories that try to explain the Gospel away? It's, they're all anticipated. I love it. God, in his wisdom, knew what they were going to say before they said it, and so he already dealt with the argument uh, in advance in the Gospels. But even the prophets here are affirming that he would be buried, this Messiah who would come. So Jesus would die. Jesus would be buried. Thirdly, Jesus would be preserved. Preserved. I mentioned that just briefly here a moment ago. But he says, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. Now, every human being who ever has died in history has decayed. Matter of fact, it begins pretty quickly. Uh, If you read the stories in Acts where they went and they buried them the same day, that's because they were in a warm climate and they didn't have embalming and it it was going to happen quickly. And so you got them in the ground as quickly as you could. Um, Every human being has decayed, but Jesus didn't decay. God supernaturally preserved him. There was no bug that could eat Jesus' body. There was no grave robber that could steal it, as the Jews later would allege to try to cover up what had happened. Um, Jesus was preserved in the grave. Now, 
uh, you just have to look at the life of the apostles to see that this is true, that the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection is true because they gave their life for it. Uh, this was nothing. This was not some, well, you know, if I was lying about something to try to scam artists somebody, I would say, if they, they get ready to kill me, I'd say, I hate to make this confession, I made all this up. <laughs> I'm not going to death for a lie. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not. But what did these apostles do? They stood boldly in the face of death. And, and they, they would even uh, appeal to their captors to be saved. They would, in some cases, rebuke them. There, hey, listen, our, our Polycarp, I believe it was, said to his, his accusers, he's, he's a, I think he was in his 90s when he was martyred for the faith. Um, he says, listen, I know where I'm going to go when I die, but there's nothing for you but the fires of hell. Repent while you can. Now talk about bold preaching. He's getting ready to be put to death, and he is preaching a message about hell. Listen, this kind of boldness, this kind of courage in the face of death can only be explained. These are the same guys that ran away in the garden. It can only be explained by the fact that Jesus literally died, was buried, and rose again. Just as the prophets said. So Jesus, the prophets said Jesus would die. Jesus would be buried. Jesus would be preserved. Jesus would be raised. Verse 28. You have revealed the paths of life to me. Now, the Hebrew is even a little bit more specific than the Septuagint quotation here. By the way, the reason they, they use the Septuagint is it was in Greek, and you had people from every country around the world that were there, and they all knew Greek because that was the language. It was kind of like English today. It was the language of business. It was the language that people used to communicate uh, when they were traveling. And so people knew Greek. And so he uses the Greek translation, but the Hebrew is even more uh, specific. It uses something called the hypostem, and it means you have caused me to see the path of life. Now, something happened on Easter morning. The body of Jesus began to bleed. The mighty hand of God touched his body. And brought him to life. Jesus himself was also involved in the process. And the Holy Spirit. Another scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit being involved in the process. But Jesus was supernaturally raised in mighty power. You have caused me to see the path of life. Uh, God had predicted it. God had planned it. God assured it, and God brought it to pass, and Jesus lived again. Now, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Other people have been raised in history, but they were raised to die again. Jesus is the only one who has ever been raised never to die again. He was raised, he was also transformed with a glorified body at that moment in mighty power. I'm going to tell you, he'll never see decay because he lives forever. He lives forever. Death couldn't hold him down, and, and he has conquered death. And he will one day speak out. And all of his saints from around the world who are entombed will come forth. 
That's his power. Wow, what a great, awesome Savior we have. The prophets predicted it. Jesus would be raised. You have caused me to live again. Isaiah 53 also predicts it. It calls him a a guilt offering, and then it says you will cause him to see his offspring. Who's Jesus' offspring? You and me. Those of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ, we're the spiritual offspring of Jesus Christ. Jesus is watching this service today. If, if, If somebody here today gives their heart to Christ, Jesus will be watching. He'll see his offspring. You can't see anything if you're dead, right? Uh, and it, it speaks of the things that the servant would do after he was a guilt offer. He'd see the light of life. He would see these things. And so uh, God has predicted Jesus' resurrection in the prophets. Um, very amazing thing here. Um, wouldn't you have loved to have been in, I think this scripture showed up in Jesus' conversation uh, on the road to Emmaus. And in the conversations he had with his disciples after his resurrection, before his ascension, he, he, he went through the scriptures. He was showing how the prophets pointed to him. And uh, I, I think this is one of the scriptures he mentions. So um, Jesus would die. Jesus would be raised. He'd be buried, he'd be preserved, he'd be raised. Jesus would be exalted. Look at verse 33. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand, Jesus has been exalted. The the apostles give witness that Jesus was raised up uh, in the air as he's, he's, I think he's at the time when he was preaching to the 500. Uh, He gives the great commission. He gives them a charge, and then he, he raises up in the air and disappears into a cloud. And the angels come and say, what are you, what are you doing looking up in the, in, in the sky? This same Jesus will come back just as he's, he's gone up into the heavens. Uh, he's not done yet. Uh, he's coming back. You go and you do as he's, he's told you to do. And so uh, where did he go? Well, he's been exalted. How do we know that? Because the Old Testament predicted it. He quotes this scripture in verses 34 and 35. It is actually from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord. By the way, David's speaking here. David, the greatest king of Israel. Who's his Lord? His Lord can only be the Messiah. Can only be the eternal one that sits on his throne can only be the one that is predicted to be not only man, but God. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand. What's the significance of that? Well, the right hand was the place of honor. The highest person in the land next to the king would sit at the king's right hand. So that... Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father, and we're told in Scripture, He sits on the throne with the Father. 
All the mighty angels that make the earth shake with their voices bow to him. All the hosts of heaven cry out in worship to him. Jesus is exalted in mighty power. The Old Testament predicted that he would be exalted. So, it says that uh, Jesus would die, he would be buried, he would be preserved, he would be raised, he would be exalted. It says that Jesus would pour out the Spirit. Um, if you look at verse 33, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He has poured out both what you see and hear. They were, well, why are these people speaking in different languages? Why, why can't we hear in these languages our own language from where we came from? Uh, what's going on here? Uh, what, are the, what are these wonderful works of God that are being declared? And, and he says, this is exactly what the prophet Joel predicted. That God would pour out his spirit on all people. Not just the prophets and the kings and the priests. God would pour out his spirit on everybody who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. Um, again, this is another prophecy. What Jesus told his disciples, he said, he said I'm going to be exalted. He said, and I can't send the Spirit until I go to be with the Father. But once I go to be with the Father, I'll pour out the Spirit. Jesus is, is, is telling them God's plan, God's schedule of events to occur. And he says, first comes the exaltation, then comes the pouring out of the Spirit. And look at what he says next. Not only would Jesus pour out the Spirit, Jesus would be vindicated. Look at verse 35. Until I make your enemies your footstool. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Jesus has been exalted, but Jesus will be exalted. One day he's coming back. He won't need a cross. He won't need a crown of thorns. That price has already been paid. Jesus will come back with a rod of iron to rule, to reign, and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Psalm 110 predicted it. The Messiah would come and he would be exalted to the Father's right hand and that he would come with power and God would subdue every enemy. All the demons of hell will bow before Jesus Christ. This is what God has planned. And is what we anticipate. And what a day it's going to be. Jesus won't come back just so that people can bow to him. He'll come back to bring in a, a time like we have never seen before. Can you imagine a, a world of peace? And a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem where there is no sin. Where there are no tears. There's no grief. There's no sorrow or crying or pain. There's no sickness. No cancer, no heart disease, no arthritis, no allergies or asthma. There's none of these things. It's all going to be gone. It's all going to be done away. Why? Because Jesus is bringing in his kingdom. Listen, I'm, hell, hell itself can't stop it. The kingdoms of this world can't stop it. Listen, I want to tell you something. There's some in our country who would silence Christians and put them in jail if they could. 
There's some who have been put in jail in some of the states in our land. But I'm going to tell you something. They can't stop the plan of God. They might be able to shut up a preacher, but they can't stop the plan of God. Jesus is coming, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. This is the plan of God. Now, Peter is sharing all these things for a reason. He's saying, look, this is the evidence. I'm giving you the evidence from the Old Testament that exactly who Jesus said he was, he in fact is. So what are you going to do about it? And the last part of this scripture is uh, they actually ask him, they say, what shall we do? And that's the question for us today. What shall we do? How will we respond to the truth that God predicted that Jesus has partially lived out and one day he will fulfill in all its fullness when he comes back? Uh, How do we respond to this truth? I think the first thing we need to do is that if you don't know Jesus Christ here today, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. He's paid the price for your sin. He's lived the righteous life you couldn't live on your own. Uh, And uh, the Bible says if you'll repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ, he'll save your soul. Uh, Not because of any good in you, because our righteousness is as filthy rags to God, but only because of the pure, spotless substitutes that God said his name is Jesus. He lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death I deserved. He took the stripes that were meant for me. God the Father turned his back on his own son because my sin was placed upon him. And he was disgusted as he looked at his son and turned back. And the fellowship with God the Father and God the Son that had abided in eternity past was broken at the cross. Why? So that you and I could know him. He was our substitute. And then when God raised him from the dead after the price had been paid, he vindicated him. This is my son. And I am pleased with him. So he calls you to bow the knee to Jesus, to receive him into your life to, as, his, as your Lord, to choose to follow him, to turn from your sin in your own way to follow Christ. This is the choice that you make. It's a choice of faith. And you receive the gift of eternal life, the gift Jesus purchased for you at the cross. Um, receive that eternal life in simple trust. If you're here today and you've not done that, you need to do that. That's how you need to respond to this truth. If you're here today and you know Jesus, you also need to respond. You need to put your trust in him every day that you live. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Resurrection power isn't just about history. And it's not even about the future resurrection, uh, only about the future resurrection that is yet to come. Resurrection power impacts us today. Christ wants to set you free. Christ wants to lift you up and sustain you with his power. Listen, um, Paul in one place, he said, he said listen, we, we were in such a situation, we despaired even of life. We didn't know what to do. And we were at the end of ourselves. But guess what? We discovered there's somebody who can raise you up from the dead. And his name is Jesus. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you may be dead emotionally. You may, you, you may be dead spiritually if you're lost. You need to come to faith in Christ if you're, if you're dead spiritually. But it, 
in your life. You may be at the end of a, of a path. You said, you know, I thought this is what God's will was for me, but I don't see how it could ever happen. If this is God's will for you, you serve a God of the resurrection who can bring new life to things that have died. Listen, that <laughs> excites you and inspire you because you have a partner who can go with you through whatever you may face in life. Uh, he is able. Jesus, did you know you don't keep your own faith? Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who sustains it. I love what Peter says. Uh, uh, we are kept by the power of God through faith. You see, it's God's power that sustains our faith. So we can trust him. Listen, our faith some days may be up here, some days it may be down there. But can I tell you something? There's a Savior who can sustain your faith. And you can come to him and you can say, Lord, I'm at the end of my faith. I'm, I'm disillusioned. I'm struggling. But Lord, come into my situation and renew my faith. Bring it to life again. There's a psalm that talks about, I believe it's Psalm 103, talks about the fact that God can renew your youth like the eagles. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ today, you can have hope for the future because you have somebody to walk into the future with you, and his name is Jesus. So lift up your head, and one day he's coming, and he's going to take us out of all this mess, and we'll enter into the perfect thing that you have for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us now to respond to your truth in the ways that you desire. Lord, for those who are here today that don't know Jesus Christ, let this be for the day that they make a choice to turn from their sin in their own way to follow Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. For those who are Christians today, Lord, if they're, if they're struggling in their lives, uh, Lord, bring encouragement, but help them to call out to you today, God, and uh, to, to ask for the renewal and the strength and the hope that they need. Whatever the needs are.